0: 4th of July, people. Some of you are wearing the colors. I'm liking that. We're having barbecues, fireworks, all that stuff. Um, It is a great weekend to be able to just thank God for this country that we have. It's an amazing country. We've got some challenges, and we're going to talk about those as we go through the book of Romans. We've got some challenges, but this is an amazing country. But it is an amazing country that is hurting a little bit. We are hurting. In fact, Gallup just last week released a survey of, of the pride that Americans have in being Americans, and it's at a record low in the history of this survey. It's at the lowest point right now. Only 38% of U.S. adults say they are extremely proud to be an American, 38%. Now, it's the lowest ever. There's still a lot of pride there if you look at very proud and moderately proud and all that stuff. It's there. It's there but only 38% are extremely proud to be Americans. And so there's a lot written about why this, this level of American pride is at a low. And it could go to you know being weary from the pandemic. We're just kinda tired of it, over it. Um, inflation is hitting hard, uh, crime and violence, racial tensions, cultural divisions, Deepening political divides, I mean, the list kind of gets long, right? War in Ukraine, it's not directly hitting us, but every war in the world indirectly you know, hits us, and we grieve over the loss of life and suffering, and we're just kind of weighed down a little bit, right? It's a record low. We're a divided country, and we need to address that, right? We need to address it at a societal level, cultural level, political level, but I think we need to address it head on in churches, especially Christian churches, because the Christian church has a very unique mission. This is, the Christian church is not an ethnic church. A lot of religions are based on an ethnic, you know, sort of a background and an ethnic origin. Yes, Christianity was born from a, a Jewish peasant named Jesus. But before Jesus went to his father, he says, this movement is for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and that's difficult because different tribes have different values. Different tribes have different perspectives. And Jesus says, listen, this is to bring the entire world together. This message of love and grace and kindness and forgiveness is to bring everyone together. And that is extraordinarily difficult. It's difficult in America right now. And it's difficult, it was difficult 2,000 years ago in the city of Rome. And so thank God for the book of Romans Because the book of Romans is a treasure that we need right now as Americans. 2,000 years after it was written, it is as relevant as it is uh, today as it was when it was first written. We need unity. We need healing. We need the divides that separate us. We need those divides brought together by the message of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So the book of Romans is about bringing diverse people together by a common faith in God's grace through Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Romans is about. No matter what your background, no matter what your ethnic background, racial background, no matter your generation, no matter your religious background, wherever you come from, we can come together by the love expressed through Jesus Christ. Now, in the city of Rome, there were two factions just by way of very brief review. There were the Roman hedonists, right? This is their city, the capital city of Rome, the great Roman Empire, and so these Roman hedonists they had this Epicurean philosophical background that basically says we have the right to pursue every bit of power, every bit of pleasure, and every bit of prosperity we can get our hands on. This great expansionist, violent Roman Empire that was gluttonous in their quest for power and pleasure. They were just taking the world, taking the world's wealth, and enslaving the world's people. That was the Roman Empire. Then there were the the Jewish legalists, right? The Jewish legalists were this tiny tribe of persecuted people. And and they thought they were the blessed ones of God, That, that their persecution had resulted in an inner strength that God was blessing them as the special chosen ones of God. And so the Roman hedonists are walking around Rome like they own the place, because they did. And then the the Jewish the Jewish legalists were saying, "Listen, we are the religious ones. We are the pious ones. We have God's word, we have God's law, we have the 10 commandments, and we're trying to obey God. We are the superior ones." No, you're not. We are the superior ones. And they're fighting in the church. They're fighting in the church. And the Apostle Paul, who had one foot in the Jewish legalizer world and one foot in the Roman world, he says, listen, God has uniquely called me to bring you together because they were tearing each other apart. Romans 14, 10, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? They were condemning and looking down on each other because of their racial backgrounds, because of their religious backgrounds, because of their political backgrounds. The same thing that was happening then is happening now. We as a people are divided racially. I mean, you cannot watch the news, read the news without seeing horrific and heartbreaking stories of racial disconnects, right? How how people are hating each other because of the color of their skin, because of their background. They're trying to protect each other. And here we are in America, walking a very difficult journey of being a melting pot of tribes, tongues, and nations from all over the world. That's a very difficult and very unique message. We're trying to give equal rights and equal opportunity to everyone, everywhere, and we're running up against roadblocks we just can't seem to get over. And then sometimes, in some corners of of the majority culture, they're saying, you know, I don't think we kinda like that. I think we kinda like being in the majority, and we like making the decisions, and we like having the power, and so there's pushback. We need Romans. We need the book of Romans. We're divided politically as they were 2,000 years ago. I mean, oh my gosh, the political divides between the conqueror Rome, right, the emperor whose seat was in Rome and the conquered people of Israel, right, this power struggle. The oppressor and the oppressed, the political divides are extreme, right? I'm a pretty big fan of The Atlantic, uh, and there was a comprehensive article that came out last week um, called The Growing Divide in America, America Growing Apart, and the subtitle said perhaps for good, and here's a quote, and I think I agree. It may be time for us to stop talking about being a red and blue America, as though it's just about politics and political parties. It's actually much deeper than that. We live as two blocks of fundamentally different nations uneasily sharing the same geographic space. Does that kind of resonate with you? It's not just about two political parties in one nation. We've always had that we are becoming almost two nations. If you look at the map, like the red-blue map and the migration that is going on, it looks kinda scary, you know? Blue parentheses and a red center, and where is all this going? I'm not a harbinger of doom. You know, I'm actually very optimistic about the future, but I'm optimistic about the future if we embrace this biblical vision of unity, because of God's grace and love that he gave to us and our commitment to share that with one another, even though we have different perspectives and backgrounds. We need the Book of Romans. We're divided religiously. The Christian church in America is divided religiously. I mean, you would think we're divided by religions. No, it's deeper than that. Even the American Christian religion is bitterly divided, bitterly divided. To just kind of put it in almost lazy generalities, there is one sort of segment of the Christian church that takes the Bible more literally and very much embraces sort of these moral commands in the scripture and wants to impose those, right? That's more the conservative wing of Christianity. And then there's the more progressive wing of Christianity that doesn't take as much in the Bible literally, approaches it a little more figuratively, and is less concerned about the moral commands and more concerned with the command to love your neighbor, right? Left and right, conservative and progressive within the Christian church cannot get along and there is fighting like I've never seen in my 35 years of ministry. We need the book of Romans. Several weeks ago as we started in chapter one, there was this call for humility. There was this call for the the, uh, the, the Romans first in chapter one to live with humility knowing that they were making some horrible decisions. And the Jews were like, yes, go get them, right? The Romans are terrible people. Well, then in Romans chapter two, the apostle Paul turns to the Jews and says, listen, you're not doing it either. You're actually hypocritical in your religious expressions. And the Romans were saying, yeah, go get the Jews, right? They're fighting each other. The Roman hedonists and the Jewish legalists, they're fighting each other. Then in chapter three, Carissa, a couple weeks ago, talked about the two being united by the grace of God. If we can embrace the fact that all of us humbly need God's grace, then we can maybe humbly serve one another. Last week, Steve talked about being united as children of God. As the Jews often look to Abraham, you know, Father Abraham, he's the the father, the patriarch of us all. The Apostle Paul said, listen, God's promise to Abraham is not just to the Jews, but to all the world. God, from the very beginning, wanted to bless the entire world, so Jews, You don't have the sole claim on being people of God and you don't have the sole claim on Abraham. We're all children of God. And today in chapter five, we're gonna talk about us being united in faith. Wherever we come from, whatever political background, whatever religious background, whatever ethnic background we come from, we can be united in faith, united in faith. And Romans 5.1 will lead the way. Since we have been justified through faith, Grab onto those three words justified through faith. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Full stop. That verse is among the most powerful, the most profound, and simplest expression of our faith in the entire scripture. We've been justified through faith. Now, justified through faith is a little technical, right? And sometimes you read the book of Romans and it's easy to kind of get distracted because it tends to be very technical. The Apostle Paul was a lawyer. Sometimes he wrote theology like a lawyer. This is one of those times. Justified is a legal term through faith. Now, I'm gonna throw a little Greek your way. I'm not a Greek scholar. I typically think that the English translations are great representations of the original language. But the Apostle Paul wrote in Greek a very technical phrase here. Dikeyao ek pistis justified through faith. The word justified, dikaio, is to render or to make someone righteous. To render or to make someone righteous. It is a little bit of a technical term, it's a little bit of a legal term, and there's a nuance in terms of how it's used in terms of our relationship with God. One way to use the word dikaio is to say, all right, I have been tried by a jury, the jury declared me not guilty the jury declared me not guilty. So I am, under the eyes of the law, not carrying guilt. That is not the way this particular verse is used because when a jury says not guilty, they probably mean you didn't do it. Well, what does Romans 3.23 say to us? We did it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has made mistakes. I thank everyone. Is there anybody here who's never made a mistake? Now's your chance. You've been waiting your whole life. Everyone here? Anyone here? Anyone? Okay, so we're all on the same page. We are united in our humility, right? We have made mistakes. So none of us can say, well, I'm innocent. So this dikeo this word, justified, doesn't mean innocent. God knows us. God knows our mistakes. He's saying, you ain't innocent, <laughs> right? He gets it. So it's not a declaration of innocence, but it is a declaration that he will not hold that against us. He will not hold that against us. God says, I'm making you right in my eyes. I know in reality you're kind of a mess, right? I know in reality you're failures. I know in reality, yet yeah, you probably should tighten some stuff up. But because I'm your heavenly father and I love you, I'm not gonna condemn you for it. I'm not gonna punish you for it. I'm not gonna hold it against you. You are 100% right in my eyes di ek, out from or among pistis, faith. We are made right with God by faith. And the Apostle Paul says this time and time and time again in the book of Romans. It is by faith that we are made right with God. And and it's such a wonderful thing to to, to think that, that this is just a gift. It's not something we earn. Paul didn't say you're made right with God because you're a good person, he doesn't say you're made right with God because you repented of your sins. He doesn't say you're made right with God because you turned from your ways and are now following you know, the right path. He doesn't say you're made right with God because you're a good religious person. He doesn't say you made, you're made right with God because you pray enough or go to church enough or give enough. He doesn't say anything. It has nothing to do with us at all. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. That is only the message of Christianity. Every other religion is a pathway to earn favor with God, a pathway to earn salvation, a pathway to earn eternal life or to earn heaven. Sadly, much of Christianity has adopted that. But the message of Jesus and the message of Paul is there's nothing you can do to be made right with God. It is given to you by grace through Jesus Christ. We are rendered without guilt by God's grace alone through Jesus Christ alone, received by faith alone not by works, not by religion. So I'm gonna paint a couple of pictures here, right? And we're gonna use the, some of the stage. Let's say I'm a person that was raised in a certain perspective. I was raised in a religious perspective, right? Let's just say, and I know most of you in this room were probably raised like me on this side of the stage, taught my whole life that God is perfect and holy. God is perfect and holy and righteous. But I'm a sinner. God is holy you're a sinner. Because I'm an imperfect sinner, and because of that sin, the things that I do that dishonor God, I'm separated from God. I was taught that way my entire childhood and, and into youth group and even a little bit beyond that my sin separates me from God. Nothing more wrong has ever been uttered on the face of the earth. But that's what I was taught. My sin separates me because God can't look upon sinful man. It's ridiculous. So I'm under his condemnation, even deserving punishment, even deserving eternal torment. I was raised in that. I was taught my whole life that if I wanna be right with God, I have to turn from my sin, that word is repent, I have to confess my sin and turn to God, and then in order to please him, I have to obey him, I have to obey the commandments, I have to be faithful in my religious practice, I have to read my Bible and pray these prayers and go to church and be sincere in my devotion to him. If I wanna be right with God, that's what I've gotta do. Sound familiar? This is the state of virtually every religion on earth. I'm not just talking about Christianity that went kind of sideways. I'm talking about every religion on earth has that basic paradigm. God is perfect, God is holy, God is righteous. We are imperfect sinners, therefore he is angry with us and he, we deserve his wrath, his vengeance, his punishment and torment that is the religious mindset. Someone else comes along, we're gonna call him Jesus because that was his name. And then the Apostle Paul took up that message of grace, and then we take up that message of grace right here, Rancho Church, right? We're taking up that message of grace, and, and we're saying to the world who is under this kind of religious slavery, we're saying, hey, listen, there's a different way to believe. There's a different faith. There's a different faith that has nothing to do with what you do. And so we're asking you to believe something different. We're asking you to no longer believe that God is angry and vengeful and is out to get sinners, that somehow sin separates us from God, I mean, that's just simply not true. We want you to believe something different. Yes, God is perfect, and yes, God is holy, and yes, we are not. That's obvious, right? But God is not an angry, vengeful, condemning judge. He is, in fact, a heavenly Father. That's exactly what Jesus introduced him as. He's a heavenly Father whose heart is always for us even when we fail. And there's countless stories of Jesus and teaching of Jesus and ministry that Jesus does to people who have fallen horrifically. And he shows love and compassion and kindness and forgiveness. It's a free gift of God. He's a loving heavenly father who forgives us as we are, a gift freely given. And there's nothing he needs from us, nothing. And this declaration that you're good with God You're good with God. Just put that in your brain. You are 100% good with God because He made you good. You didn't make yourself good by your good works and by religion or by turning from whatever you were doing wrong. You don't need to get your life in order. You don't need good works. You don't need to obey the commandments. You don't need to be faithful in your religious devotion. Nothing you do can possibly earn favor with God. He gives it to you as a gift. So here's the choice, and it comes down to faith. Just what do we want to believe? It's just a choice. We can keep believing that you are under God's judgment because of your sin. We can keep believing that. I'm gonna just put somewhere around 90% of the world is in that category. 90% of the world, majority of Christians are in this category. I'm just gonna keep believing I'm under God's judgment because of sin. That God looks at us and and his concern is for us to leave sin and live obedient. That's a religious paradigm. But we can choose to keep believing that. That if we sin less, we're gonna you know, please God more and that's his priority. We can keep believing that. It's gonna be this dance. How good are we versus a righteous God? How much is he gonna punish us for our sin now or forever? That's the slavery of religion. Or we can change our faith and believe something different. We could believe that you are 100% good with God because of his grace. Just change the way you believe, that's all. Just believe what Jesus says. You are 100% good with God because of his grace, period. God needs nothing from you. Nothing. Number one here is a life of um, guilt and uncertainty and managing our behavior to try to unlock God's favor. Number two is a life that enjoys God and enjoys the life he gave us. I choose number two. I choose number two because that's what I see in God's word. I choose option two because that's what I see in the teaching of Jesus. And I choose uh, option two because of Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8 tells us why we have every right and why it's reasonable to believe that we are 100% good with God by grace. Romans 5, 8 is among the most famous passages in the entire Bible, let alone Romans. God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Did you get what the Apostle Paul was doing here? He's looking at people fighting each other and judging each other. Oh, you're not doing this right. 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 I have it right. No, I have it right. You should be like me. No, you should be like me. And they're fighting. And the Apostle Paul is just dropping a little bomb here. And he says, listen, it is God who demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, you don't have to get your act together first in order for God to love you. Love is the natural state of God towards us. Not judgment, not condemnation. Love is the natural state of God towards us. And he proved it by sending Jesus who gave his life for this cause. He died for us. The death of Jesus demonstrates God's grace. The death of Jesus demonstrates God's love. The death death of Jesus causes us to choose option number two. I am 100% good with God because of what Jesus did for me. While we were still sinners, I didn't get my act together. I didn't get myself more religious. I didn't get myself more devout. I didn't get myself more obedient. Jesus died for me purely because of love. The death of Jesus, God demonstrated his love for us. Even though we're imperfect, he still loves us. And this is kind of revolutionary in church, and people get all upset sometimes, or excited, or confused, and I'm just like, it's just what a parent does, right? If, if your little Johnny does something wrong, I, as a holy parent, must separate myself, or I cannot be in the presence of your sin. I mean, how silly is it? I can't be in the presence of your sin. You must repent of your sin, and you must confess your sin, and you must prove your worthiness before I, I turn my favor back upon you. I mean, come on, what Jesus says is God is a heavenly father. That's the big wow that got him crucified. The religious culture hated that, the political culture hated that, and they schemed together to put him to death. All that Jesus was saying is God is really a heavenly father, not an angry, vengeful judge. Will you believe that? Will you believe that? I love John 13. He's gathering his disciples together one final time. Listen to the heart of God here. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them deeply to the very end. Jesus was here as the full expression of God. The Bible says he is the fullness of divinity. So here's the fullness of divinity, doing nothing but loving to the very end. You want to know the Father, Jesus says? You know me. We see Jesus, we see the Father we see Jesus love, we see him serve, we see him forgive, we see him pour grace upon grace upon grace, even and especially to the most outcast, the greatest sinners, he is pouring grace upon grace upon grace to the very end. It cost him his life. He loved to the very end, it cost him his life. As a result of that, we can trust this, we can put our faith in Jesus not in our religion, not in our works, but faith in Jesus. We can trust that God declares us to be without guilt. He declares us right in his eyes. We can have faith that we are 100% good with God because of the love he demonstrated through Jesus. Galatians 5, 1 is an interesting verse. I give a side eye every time I've read this first part. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Whenever I've read that, I, I think, oh, well, of course, it's for freedom that Christ set us, sets us free. Now, I did some thinking, even just this week about it. I've always kinda of dismissed that phrase as kind of, I don't know, of course, right? But it's not of course. What the Apostle Paul is saying in Galatians now is a parallel to what he's saying in Romans. And what he's saying is, listen, we've been set free, but not everyone experiences freedom. The Apostle Paul is almost like shaking us, listen, We are set free from guilt. We're set free from shame. We're set free from condemnation. We're set free from believing there's something between God and us. Live like it. Experience it, right? It was for the actual living out of freedom that Jesus set us free. Yet so many people, even in Christian churches, are not living in the freedom of just enjoying the reality that we are 100% good with God purely by grace. There's a little cycle of freedom, There's a little cycle of freedom. Freedom begins with a declaration. I'll give you two examples here in a minute. Freedom begins with a declaration, you're free. Then there's usually a a big price that's paid to earn that freedom. And then later there is an experience of freedom. It's the 4th of July, so I'm gonna give you a a, a little little history, right? Then you know this. July 4th, 1776, what happened? The signing of the Declaration of Independence. Was America free on July 4th, 1776? What's the answer? No. It was just a declaration. It was just a declaration. It was just a signed piece of paper, that's all it was, a a big deal piece of paper, right? It was just a piece of paper, July 4th, 1776. We weren't free. We were under the thumb of King George III in July 4th, 1776, and July 5th, and 6th, and 7th, and for the next seven years, right? So, a Declaration of Freedom was signed by the 56 signatures of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, followed by a heavy price to earn freedom, seven years of war that cost the lives of about 20,000 Americans, including nine of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. They put their lives on the line for that Declaration of Freedom. Then there was a huge price to be paid, a sacrifice that was made, so that we would then later experience freedom, which didn't happen until 1783, right? Let's fast forward a little bit to the Civil War. I had to bone up on this one. During the third year of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln declared freedom for the slaves of the South through the Emancipation Proclamation, signed on January 1st, 1863, declaring, quote, all persons held as slaves are henceforth free. When he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, were they free at the moment of the signature? What's the answer? No. Another two years of civil war, costing 300,000 lives since that signing. Buying, purchasing the freedom of the slaves. They didn't actually live in freedom until two years later. And in fact, we, you know, we um, just marked Juneteenth a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't until two months after that that the Galveston slaves found out they were free, and that's the Juneteenth celebration. Freedom is an experience until sometimes way after the actual declaration of freedom, and in between, there's a heavy price to pay. Are you guys getting the dots I'm connecting? Right? God declared an emancipation, God declared a freedom, God declared to the entire cosmos, to heaven and earth, these people made in my image will be free. God made that proclamation. He made a promise. In Summer Seminary, we're going to talk about the covenant that God made to show all of us grace. In my eyes, they will be perfect. This is a trick question. When did God make that declaration? When did God make that declaration that we would all be free and blameless in his sight? Before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1:4. even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's justification, Dikaios, justification, made right in my eyes. God made that proclamation before he even created the cosmos. Remarkable. But we didn't know about it, or if we did, we rejected it. So you see God kind of trying to get his covenant of grace in the Old Testament to the Jews. And they're like, nah, we're good. They killed the prophets, killed Jesus. You see God trying to give this message of grace to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And they're saying, nah, nah, we're good. We'll choose power. We got our own, you know, kind of way of doing things. Nah, not, nah, not nah, crucify Jesus. Gentiles, Jews, conspired, crucified Jesus, we're done. A great sacrifice was paid between the proclamation of freedom and the actual experience of freedom, and that price paid is the life of Jesus. That's the sacrifice made, the demonstration of love, that that God is so serious about getting his proclamation of grace, not just to the world, but in our hearts, to bring us together with God in peace and together with each other in peace. Let's put it this way. A declaration of freedom was promised and sealed before the beginning of time, I will declare my creation holy in my sight. A heavy price was paid for that declaration of freedom. That is the very crucifixion of Christ. Not in 18. (laughs) That was about 33 AD, sorry. And we can experience that freedom right here and right now by faith, by faith. So if you were raised over here, if you were raised over here, if you were raised thinking God was angry with you, if you were raised thinking that you're guilty before God, if you were raised thinking you were under his judgment or condemnation, it is time for you right now to believe something different. Today is the day that you can actually experience what God declared about you before the beginning of time, that you're free that you are 100% right with God because of His grace alone and you can receive that by faith right here and right now today. This is your Independence Day, July 3rd, 2020. Remember that date. If you were raised, thinking that God is angry with you or disappointed with you or condemning you, believe something different. If you were raised thinking you need to do more for God, you need to get rid of more sin, and you need to add some more things to your life, add more religion, add more Bible reading, add more prayer, add more church services, yeah, you can do that. Add more of this, add more of this. If you were thinking you need to do more for God, believe something different today. Your Day of Independence, July 3rd, 2022. Have your faith not in your ability to make yourself right with God, but in God's promise fulfilled in Jesus to make you right with Him. Today is that day. If you are carrying right now any guilt of things you have done in the past, any shame, if you are carrying right now a fear of God, afraid of God, if you are reluctant to pray to Him because you're carrying some guilt and think, oh, He can't possibly listen to me, if you're wondering what's going to happen after you die, whether you're good with God or not, today is the day of your liberation. July 3rd, 2022, today is the day by believing something different. Simply believing that Jesus did it all and he paid it all for you. He gave his life to tell you you are 100% good with God by grace. Then the Apostle Paul does something at the end of Romans 5 that I just discovered yesterday, and I have no time to talk about it, but I just want to drop it and have you wrestle with this or just enjoy it. At the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul repeats himself seven times. I I have studied the book of Romans for 35 years. I've never seen this. Yesterday, truly, like 2 p.m., like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) He's saying the same thing seven days. I I had to count. Wow, he just said the same thing twice. Oh, next verse. We said the same thing three times. Next verse. Oh, he said the same thing four times. I'm getting all excited. Oh, five, six, seven times. He says the exact same thing, seven times to close out Romans chapter five. Two quick things. In ancient culture in particular, ancient Near East culture, when you say something twice, it's like, whoa, you're serious. So when Jesus says like, verily, verily, I say to you, it's like, oh, he said verily twice. I'm, I'm all in. To repeat something seven times I don't think there's an equal in all of the Bible where something is repeated seven times. Twice is like, you have my attention. Seven times, and I tend not to be very mystical, but seven scripturally, unequivocally, is the number of perfection. So when Paul says something seven times, I don't think it's an accident. It's the last seven verses of Romans 5. If you can count to seven, start with the bottom and work your way up. The phrasing is just a little bit different. He starts kinda technical and ends general. He starts kinda legal and ends inspirational, but what he is saying seven times is you are 100% right with God because of his wonderful grace. So I'm gonna say this seven times to you. You are right with God because of his wonderful grace. You are right with God because of his wonderful grace you are right with God because of His wonderful grace. You are right with God because of His wonderful grace. Even you are right with God because of His wonderful grace. You are right with God because of His wonderful grace. And if I didn't lose count, one more time, you are right with God because of His wonderful grace. Don't ever lose that simple faith. Justified by faith, meaning our trust is in God's grace alone through Jesus. He proved it by his life, he proved it by his ministry, he proved it by his death that shows you how far he was willing to go to get grace installed in this world, and he rose again from the dead to give us all this sense of victory that love and grace will win, not only to bring us peace with God by grace, but to bring peace in the Roman church and peace in the American church even now, if we cling on to grace. Because if we're clinging on to grace, we have no right to judge another person. That's what we tend to do. But if we're just relying on God's grace, we won't judge anybody. How could we? If I'm saved by grace, you're saved by grace. Even if you're terribly wrong over there, (laughs) you're saved by grace, and we can still be friends, and we can still be brothers and sisters in the household of faith. I'm gonna pray a prayer of faith. For those of you who came here with guilt, shame, any sense at all that there's anything between you and God, you are leaving here today free. I'm just telling you, you are. You're changing your faith right now, (laughs) declaring it. And you can do that by a prayer that I'm gonna pray right now. If you pray that prayer of faith, it's a new faith, relying on God's grace, walk out of here with the biggest smile on your face. It's a game changer. It'll change everything, not just your relationship with God, but how you treat everybody on earth. It's gonna be an awesome journey. And I'm just gonna give you a gracious invitation. We do a baptism once every month on the first Sunday of the month. Steve's over there right now in our heated pool, and it's a great day to get baptized. I don't care if you brought a change of clothes or not, today could be your Independence Day that you can also choose to express through baptism. When you go under the water, plugging your nose, bending your knees, whole technique. When you go under the water, That's a sign that you are cleansed, made right with God by his grace, nothing you have done, and raised to a whole new life, a whole new perspective, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for Romans chapter five. We just, in many ways, skimmed the surface, but I think we got the message There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with you, end of discussion. And yet we still judge each other as though you got it wrong. You just did it. You declared it before the foundation of the world. My beautiful creation made in my image will be right in my eyes as a gift of grace. The world has been rejecting that for thousands and thousands of years, but Jesus gave his life to make sure we understand that we are 100% right with you by grace alone, through Christ alone, received by faith alone. So at this very moment, we place our faith in Jesus. We don't place our faith in ourselves. Nothing we can do to believe the right things or live the right way or be devout in our religion or obey the commandments. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right. But we receive the free gift through Jesus Christ who gave his life for the cause. A sacrifice was made, a price was paid, to have us experience that peace and we can experience it right now, received by faith, believing in Jesus, to forgive us, to make us right with you. And God, let that change our life. Let us be more loving to others as a result as we are more and more aware of your love for us. And may this unite, not just this one church, but unite the church globally, that we might be a great witness to the world that this love is for real that this grace is for real, received by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.